This is Learn Right Radio, your podcast for clinical practice, clinician experiences, and being a clinician in the workplace. I'm your host, Sarah Thistle. to another episode of Learning Right Radio. This week we have Justin back on to discuss the last two remaining questions of the previous questions that we posted on Instagram. So these were any questions that someone could think about regarding the industrial setting and what that might look like. So in this one we addressed the most challenging part of being in the industrial setting as well as the key differences that you'll notice between a traditional setting and the industrial setting. So definitely check out this podcast if you have some questions regarding that. Otherwise, a couple of other things. We do have over 20 credits available of continuing education courses on our platform. You can go to learnrightuniversity.com and you'll have all of them there, right there for you. All BOC approved, um, also available for physical therapists and they are very specific to the industrial setting. So if you're looking for continuing education that addresses that, that's the place to go. Again, it's learnrightuniversity.com. You can also follow us on all of our media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, at learnright underscore NW. So without further ado, let's hop into this episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Learn Right Radio. We have Justin back to finish out the first round of industrial athletic training questions. So um, last call or two calls ago, we discussed um, rehabilitation and its place in the industrial setting, as well as the number of people we see in a day, you know, what a typical caseload looks like and how that actually varies quite a bit from site to site. So today we're diving into the latter two um, and we'll actually just dive right in and start with probably the more challenging one, um, which is what is the most challenging part in your opinion of being in the industrial setting? So you go first. Well, thank you for having me on again. Um, it was my intention to break this up so that I could be on the most uh, Learn Right podcasts. So um, that is <laughs> that is a challenging question though. There's certain things, there's, nothing off the top of my head that stands out as like this in particular is the most difficult. I think it's a combination of a few things. Um, one, it's new, it's different. And you really have to, when you're like us and we're trying to get out there and interact with a certain number of people and make those connections, build that trust. Sometimes it can be difficult to go from in the office, working with people one-on-one to then going out there on the production floor and interacting with people so sometimes it's difficult or challenging to switch your your mindset at least for me it is um so it seems like i can almost do one thing or the other so if there's a day where i'm doing a bunch of appointments esi visits i can handle that if there's a day that i don't have hardly any of those it's easy for me to be out there interacting with people out on the floor at the construction site so i would say that's probably one aspect that's challenging but it's, it's just different. So people are in a different stage in life. So there's conversations that you'll have, things that people have going on in their life that are just quite a bit different than 
if the person you're working with is in high school or college. Um, maybe somebody's been coming in to see you for their knee and they're going through a divorce right now, or one of their family members is sick, or you're working with someone, they're making a lot of progress, and then you're like, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so for, for a few weeks, and it turns out they were, they were let go. So I think some of those things that you don't really come in contact too often in the traditional setting are sometimes can be challenging to navigate um, in those conversations. But I would be more interested in hearing what you think is the most challenging. I think those are, well, I mean, first, I think those are really good points to bring up that I don't think my mind was immediately going to, but um, even where you were bringing up the follow-up point, um, you know, certainly when you're in a traditional setting, you see them every day, probably, or almost every day, um, because that's the routine versus here where you might see them every week, every other week, and, um, and then sometimes they get lost. I mean, depending how big your site is, how many people are actually working in factory, structure site, whatever it is, um, it's pretty easy to lose people and not necessarily uh, that they were terminated, but literally like you don't know, like they moved to a different line, they moved to a different department and different shift. yeah, a different shift. And um, it's almost like that person's not there anymore, but they still are. And so um, in navigating the, oh, I didn't forget about you. I just literally can't find you. <laughs> and then I think you forgot about them and they will take it personally. Yeah, absolutely. And then on the flip side of that, if you were, if you follow up with them the next week, they're like, oh my gosh, you remembered me. So it's, it's so, it's such a different dynamic of, you know, a traditional athlete who would be like, oh yeah, I see you every day. You're not going to forget about me versus the ones like, you know, my name like a second time in a row. So, right. <laughs> so, I think, no, go I ahead. Think that, I think that's a, uh, hey, we're, three minutes into this and I'm already cutting you off. So, no. so that's, a, that's a new record for me. Um, but uh, I would say what, what we were talking about before we, we started recording is sometimes in this setting, I think we said it in the last podcast or on one of your previous ones, is you can do a 10th of what you're gonna do for a high school or college athlete. And it just goes so much further with these individuals and what we were saying before we, we started recording is that sometimes it's just a matter of you're there and they know somebody's looking out for them. And that means, you know, everything to some of these people. They just knowing that there's someone that's there designated to kind of look out for them mm -hmm. um, is huge. So sometimes it's, you know, not the exercise you recommended or the massage or, you know, whatever it is. It's just the fact that you're there checking in on them and you remembered maybe something that they did over the weekend, or um, you remember their name. So little stuff like that uh, goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think with that too, um, the flip side to having that dynamic where it is just, it almost seems just way more meaningful that your mm -hmm. presence is, or that you are present. Um, then there are the people that are terminated, which is mm -hmm. of no, uh, relation to what you are doing. Um, and it seems like they're just totally irrelevant, but then you, you know, you check in with a supervisor, a lead and Hey, okay, where's this person? And like, Oh, they were let go a week ago or yesterday. And you're like, what the heck? Um, yeah. because you, like, like, I'm like, I'm Billy, just, could you, could you yeah. got rid of the other guy next to him? 
I was just working. We were almost done. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> I was this close to making this guy better, and you got rid of him. Bring him back case, for two more weeks. It's almost a case resolved, and you ruined it. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, and you know, traditionally, that just wouldn't, or I guess that's just far less common. I guess people can not be on the team anymore. Something could really drastically happen that mm-hmm. removes them from the team, or um, you know, whatever the case is. But that just doesn't. Like, I can't even imagine if I just showed up for my team and they're like, oh, yeah, she's gone. Like, what mm-hmm. are you talking about? But in this right. setting, that's so, so much more common. And I don't mm-hmm. really remember when that first instance happened where I was working with someone and they were gone. But it was it was just weird. Like, I felt like I should have yeah. been more involved, which wouldn't make sense mm-hmm. to be more involved because we're not mm-hmm. employing them, like we're not involved in that process, but um, it was just so bizarre. And then yeah. I was like, oh, it's a job. Like, <laughs> this is someone's yeah. job. It's not, you know, um, an you athletic You take for granted that they're there. Right? Yeah, it, yeah. You, you it just always, when you go in that particular spot of the factory, you expect them to be there. And I remember there was a guy, um, like one of the first people I, I helped when I was in Nevada, uh, like one of the first um, ESI visits we had, worked with that guy, got to know, I worked with him one or two times. And then it was just every time I went out there to that particular part of the factory, we just had a conversation. Awesome guy, um, mm-hmm. really hard worker. And um, for reasons I was not made aware after like I think four or five months, they, they let him go. And you could tell I, I was definitely bummed out um but you could tell the team of people around him were Mm -hmm. like noticeably um less happy for for a few days following like those Mm -hmm. people that were normally signing up for appointments weren't signing up they were everybody Mm -hmm. was kind of uh upset um at the situation so I guess that that is a you know a unique challenge to this setting especially when you develop those relationships with people um and you've connected with them, you're helping them, and then all of a sudden they're gone. And then when they're gone, you know, unless you've emailed them some resources and maybe they're still sending you an email. So I've never had anybody that's terminated still trying to contact me, but um, I'm assuming that does happen. Um, mm-hmm. You're not really connecting to that person anymore. So it kind of stops right then and there. Have you had somebody try and reach out to you after they've been terminated? Okay. Well, maybe you're doing a better job of connecting with people than I am. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I think, okay, so that brings up a really good point too, because you were saying how, you know, that group was noticeably much quieter um, on the, you know, before that even happens, I think a big difference is maybe someone is fired at a really bad time and it makes it look like we're related to it, but there are people that really don't um, understand why we're there and so um I've had multiple times where I had to explain that I wasn't going to cost them their job and that my job was not to investigate them but to actually help them and keep them working and um you know keep them from having to take time off or go through a whole fiasco uh, so that I did I never thought of that and I mm-hmm. approached a woman one day because um, I was still fairly new, I was trying to get to know an area or a department. And um, for one, she uh, her primary language, her, her first language was not English. So that was certainly a difficulty. But on top of that, she was very afraid of me. 
And I was just saying, hi, how are you? You know, what do you do? Um, just trying to learn and figure out what are some possible concerns that I could look out for. And she didn't want to talk to me. And she asked me why I asked her her name. And I felt terrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it, but then I realized that it's very common. People Mm -hmm. will ask if they've never heard of work, right. Or they've never worked for work, right. They're like, this isn't going to get me in trouble or anything will it and it's especially just very if they see you writing down your name or something in your in your notebook that we all try and normally carry out on the floor with us and you're kind of jotting down notes and they say well that person just talked to me now they're yeah. over there writing some stuff down right yeah like yes i definitely had to be more aware of that not just like because i can't i have the memory of a hummingbird so if i don't write it down <laughs> right away i can i like i will forget and i want to remember their names so i have to like immediately after talking to one or two people I need to go write their names down. And I used to just kind of stand there and do it. And then I realized like, you know what, that may be giving some people, I tell people like, Hey, I'm just trying, I want to remember your name. Like I'm not mm-hmm. trying to write down all these different things about our conversation, get you in trouble. But then I, it kind of made me think like, okay, I probably need to be a little bit more aware and, and how this looks um, to people. So I, I think that's, yeah, that's definitely part of it as well. Yeah. But no, I think even- having that sort of conversation is a, a good thing to bring up because I mean, that does happen quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I, I wouldn't have thought of it before, but um, after hearing you, that is a really good challenge, I think, to be aware of. I don't think it'll really make anyone's job difficult. I just think it's something that is probably overlooked, would never be expected, and could take you off guard. And I think knowing that there's a potential for them to not necessarily distrust you, but um, not have any trust established point blank. I think it would be good to know that when approaching, um, anyone and there, and then of course there are, there are groups of people who love work, right. Or work, right. I mean, yeah, they love work, right. But they love, (laughs) they love the athletic trainer that's there. They really appreciate it. They understand the services that, um, someone like us would provide. And so they're really, you know, the people that you want to get buy-in from and then have them tell everyone else and so it's almost like using the people not using the people but um you know utilizing that relationship that you have established and there's all this trust and um Mm -hmm. respect for and then just hoping that they will share that with the person next to them or the person that just started yesterday Mm -hmm. um so that becomes extremely important too because I don't think you have to work as hard to get buy-in in the traditional setting not to say that's not that never happens I just think it's way less common and maybe way right. less severe right and I think and I think that's so there's a couple of things off that um I think that's also unfortunately you know we do leadership trainings different companies within our within work right but I think that's it depends on the worker, like the culture of the company you're at, um, mm-hmm. how difficult or easy that trust will be to build. Um, that's one thing, uh, because a lot of times, unfortunately, in a lot of the different industries we see, their management and their supervisors are catch, trying to catch them doing something wrong, mm-hmm. not necessarily trying to catch them doing something right. So when I've talked to companies or, or we always try and emphasize this, all of our work right um, um, employees, you know, trying to catch people out there doing something right. Don't always try and catch them doing something with bad form. Try and 
catch them doing it correctly, maybe squatting or, or whatever it is, and encourage that. I think that is much more rare. Um, so when a new person comes around, it, again, there's the automatic instinct in a lot of cases, unfortunately, is that, oh, this is another person trying to catch me doing something wrong mm-hmm. instead of trying to catch me doing something right. So I think that's a part of the issue. I also think one of the unique challenges that you brought up is that when someone, when they are, people get really used to their athletic trainer or their physical therapist that's on site. Mm-hmm. Um, so when maybe that person has to go to another location or they move and we have a new clinician there, it can be hard at first. Now you people know about the service. They, they're familiar with what we do, but people get really connected with that particular person. So I think that's a unique challenge is how do you keep building that momentum when you're taking over um, for someone else and everyone mm-hmm. there has gotten really used to another clinician trying to build that relationship yourself. Um, sometimes there can be a little bit of a lag for a couple of weeks until you've kind of had the chance to show them like, Hey, I'm great too. You know, if mm-hmm. someone comes in and says, Hey, you're not Sarah. I'm like, after a couple of times that does hurt my feelings, man. So, uh, but you're right. I'm not Sarah. So, um, but give me a chance to help you out. But I, so I think that is a unique challenge as well. People get really, and I would say probably in the traditional setting as well, I don't have as much experience or if any there. Um, but I imagine it's a little bit of the same way. So similar situation, people get really locked in on that one person that's been helping them. And sometimes mm-hmm. when it's a new person, it can be difficult to, to just automatically start seeing that other individual right away. Um, mm-hmm. So that's probably a little bit of a challenge um, that is common amongst both settings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with the traditional setting and that relationship that you have with that one AT, it's almost, it's almost like the the person cannot fathom any other person helping them. Um, whether it's purely that they just really like the person in general, or they have had experiences where, with other ones that they didn't feel like they, um, not that the person like didn't treat them well, but they didn't like the treatment that were given, or they didn't feel like they worked as well as someone else. Like there just wasn't that same buy-in. And so I think, um, I think to your point, it's not necessarily a difference, which is another thing we'll get into, but it's certainly a challenge um, because there's still that same relationship um, that will happen between the worker and then the industrial AT or PT. Right. So right, well, people don't like change, right? Even if it's right. you're you're new and you're actually your service is better, whether it's your soft tissue work, your taping, whatever it is. People don't like change. When I was at the mm-hmm. University of Tennessee, I had of like the hundred plus football players, I had like eight that wanted to come to me for their, and they all, all of them had to have both ankles taped for every single practice. Don't, <laughs> let's not dive into all the errors with that, but uh, it was required that every single one of the football, the hundred plus of them had both ankles taped. If you were a scholarship athlete, both ankles taped. If you were not, if you were a walk-on, you have got braces. You can see how that's a little bit backwards. That doesn't make any sense, but you know, whatever. They're making the rules. And I would have like eight or nine of the guys. And I was definitely the worst. I was never good at taping ankles. (laughs) Worst class in school. Uh, Cannot tape an ankle. Please don't ask me to do that. I don't know why this doesn't surprise me. 
Oh, <laughs> the worst, literally the worst. Like when you think AT, you think Franny packs and tape. You don't think Justin Zimmerman. Okay. I think Omar. Um, I think Omar. Yeah. I mean, he, I watched him tape a wrist one time and I was like, he's like, it's just a wrist tape. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that, dude. Yeah. Poor <laughs> other um, but just because those people were, those guys were very familiar with me. They didn't like change and they just got used to how it was done, even though it wasn't done as well as like the six other athletic trainers there that could have done it. Um, people don't like change. So they were very particular about having me do it, uh, even though the service wasn't quite as good. So I think that's part of it as well. Uh, people just don't like change. They get very familiar with how a particular way is done, um, a way of doing things, but it just takes time. And it just gives you more of a reason to try and build that relationship and that trust yourself. But it's, it is a challenge. Yeah. The other challenging part that I wanted to highlight is OSHA and mm. work-related injuries, which could be a discussion all on its own, which is fine. But I think it's important to add it into this one because that was definitely my, well, I mean, first challenge was talking to people, like a lot of people, um, yeah. like on purpose. That was definitely my first challenge. But then the mm. following challenge was I started taking appointments, um, whether it was in the office or on the floor, was if it was work-related, my scope of practice was immediately limited according to OSHA guidelines, which is across the board um, because OSHA is, you know, ensuring all safety places, everyone's taken care of. That's the, that's the nicest way I could put it. Um, mm. And that is challenging because you're coming in with all this, um, whether it's traditional experience or you're straight out of school, but in school you're learning everything you can do. Um, and then once you start facing work-related injuries or uh, work-related aches and pains, um, you know, a lot of like the manual therapies, um, like exercise, prescription, all that stuff, kind of how we were saying rehab isn't um, something that happens, that yes. kind of goes out the window. Um, mm -hmm. And at first you're kind of just like, okay, well then what can I do? Like, <laughs> what is my purpose in being there? Um, and there's still a very, there's a huge impact that we can make without all of those tools. Um, but I think getting into the groove of remembering you can't use those and then figuring out, um, you know, basically problem solving. Okay. What's the best way that I can handle this, you know, while still abiding to first aid guidelines. And of course, our main goal for being on site anyway is to prevent injuries from even happening so right. you know we're not seeing people with uh like tear their acls and then all right well you've got to treat them first aid <laughs> like yeah. it's obviously very different but that was certainly a challenge that i experienced i think that's that's a good one to bring up i think it is a perfect opportunity to have even like a 15 minute short dis like discussion. Chantel is the OSHA guru. She knows all the ins and outs, tips and tricks. I think that is probably the best person for a ton of people to, to learn from as far as how to, as a physical therapist or athletic trainer, navigate OSHA the correct way and do as much as you can while still abiding by OSHA. So a lot of that stuff I've learned and picked up from her. Mm -hmm. But I think it also forces you to get creative 
when you're you're trying to solve these problems it mm-hmm. forces you we want to be proactive like you said it forces you to get try and get upstream of those issues like all right i'm seeing people i feel like i'm a little bit limited in what i can do i've got to get at the root cause of this so i can uh not have to be in this situation as often and i think it also makes you have to get a little bit better at your education because mm-hmm. that's what we know too is you educate someone on what's going on with their you know their ache or pain their pain will go down so i think it's forced me to get better at educating people on what's what's going on and things they can do um outside of just saying oh yeah it's probably this let's have you do uh you know this rehab routine mm-hmm. i think you're forced to educate and have more of a conversation and you have to really explain sometimes something that's relatively complex um, and people latch on to certain keywords. So it forces you to, to be able to deliver that message in a way that's easy for someone to understand that they can go and then turn around and tell their spouse, tell their kid and be able to relay that information correctly. Um, because then if they relay it incorrectly or they maybe they didn't uh, process it the right way and maybe they misconstrued what you were saying, Um, Well, that can lead to a whole host of other issues. Um, So I think it forces you to get creative in that way. Um, We know that if they had access to those exercises prior to that work-related injury occurring, we are allowed to reference those exercises. So that's a little bit of a a workaround, still getting them access to those stretches and exercises if they had it available to them prior to that work-related injury taking place. But um, I think overall it is unique. It can be frustrating at first, but it forces you to get better education and get a little bit more creative. Yeah. And I will say too, on the, on the flip side of educating the worker, um, because that's absolutely true. The way you communicate something obviously has a very large effect and they're going to take that with them. Um, probably to more places than just themselves. Like you said, they're going to share it with family, um, they'll certainly share it with people on the line. Um, And so what you say really matters. And it's always mattered, regardless of what setting you're in. But it certainly matters here as well. Um, And that kind of runs along the lines of first aid. Because, you know, if something is, you know, requiring medical treatment, so something, so medical treatment, uh, by OSHA standards is uh, prescription exercise, mm-hmm. manual techniques that are outside of the confines of massage, um, uh, as well as there are a couple other things that really aren't relevant to us. But those are the two main yeah. ones because that's typically what we're utilizing in a traditional setting. Um, and so if something requires that attention, we still have to word it correctly. We still have to, like, you don't want to send someone be like, all right, you definitely, um, you know, strained your rotator cuff. Mm-hmm. That sucks. You know, I'm well, okay. I would never say that, right. Right. <laughs> but yeah. you know, that does suck. Um, but you don't, you don't even tell them, yeah, you definitely strained this particular muscle mm-hmm. because that's not what we're there to do. Um, right. and it's more right. Yeah. We're not there to diagnose them. And we also know that, you know, the way you express or communicate a diagnosis um, mm-hmm. can be really um, detrimental to their mm-hmm. identity, how they then carry on after that, how they search for help, 
all that stuff. Um, I've had multiple people that will just walk up to me and they're like, I have a herniated disc. I'm like, what? How do you know this? And they're like, oh, I looked it up. And yeah. my friend over there says he had a herniated disc and he thinks I have one. I'm like, well, you're, <laughs> that's a lot to, to attack right there. That's a lot to unpack. But. Well, right. So they will start talking and if they're, they have a coworker, which coworker is just trying to help, they will say, oh, yep. you know, I had pain like that. And I actually had a herniated disc and I had to go get surgery. And they're like, what? I've got to go get surgery. And again, yeah. so it's, it's the skill and the art of the conversation because you could have a, maybe do a very poor job of talking to someone about tennis elbow and they go around with their arm limp by their side thinking they can't use their arm. Yes. And so it, it really, so it, it is, it is a skill involved. Like that same, something that we know is relatively minor. If you deliver, deliver that message the wrong way, it can really negatively impact what someone thinks they're capable of doing. And they think, mm -hmm. Oh, I'm having pain. Uh, when I'm doing this, it's making it worse. That's yep. not necessarily the case. Just because yep. you're having pain. Now, there's certain things that if you come to see me and you go back to do that exact same job, there's a chance you could make it more irritated, make it a little bit worse. But there's also just because you're having pain with this particular issue, it does not mean you're making it worse. And mm -hmm. uh, but you tell that to someone in the wrong way, they think, oh, they just want me to go back to work. They don't. They don't care about me. Um, right. So. It, and sometimes you make a mistake. I think we've probably all been there. I've had the conversations early on that I thought went um, pretty poorly. I just did not, I couldn't figure out and I, had, I didn't have enough experience to deliver that message the correct way. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, again, I've had people that, that had tennis elbow and they thought they were gonna have to go get surgery on a tennis elbow or like I have to go start getting injections because that's what the guy in my same department um, did and then someone talks like oh I've got you know herniated discs I uh, I've got bulging discs I uh, I can't do this anymore I'm like mm -hmm. you do know that's a normal part of the aging process but if you just kind of say it like that people are not going to be receptive of that right. message um, so I think so you have to be really and if you deliver a message wrong way you've got someone that's now going to go to the doctor and then possibly become um, a reportable when it, that was really unnecessary um, right so it is bad for the individual and then bad for the company yeah but i think to what you were saying before like how many you know you're not having people come in um and see you with a torn acl i have had someone uh was, i was working with the fire department they were doing some trainings in the water they were doing the backstroke ruptured their bicep Oof. so straight up popeye deformity came in to see me and i was like what are you doing? He's like, can you do something about this? And I was like, do you want me to tape your bicep back in place? <laughs> like, can you? And I was like, no, you need to go to the doctor right now. He's like, I think it might be all right. I'm like, you see, your, you see your bicep. It looks like a fruit roll up, roll it up in your, in your arm. <laughs> go to the doctor now. He's like, all right, I guess I'm going to go. And then I followed up with his chief and he's like, yeah, he did. He, he did end up going the next day. I was like, thank goodness. That's so funny that you had that experience. I had a bicep tear as well. It was a construction guy. He was picking up a door and. Mm -hmm. Yep. It, and he, he wasn't in pain. He was just like kind of in shock. He's like, I don't, I'm good to go. Right. I'm like, no, <laughs> you, no. Need to, you need to head out, sir. <laughs> it, you'd be surprised. I think that's one of the more. I've seen that a few times. So it's, I feel like it's, it happens more often than you would think mm -hmm. in the industrial setting, 
also one of my biggest fears. So it makes my, it makes me like feel uncomfortable when I see someone that's torn their bicep. I'm like, I please, I don't want to turn <laughs> my biceps. I don't want to have some little skinny arm. But um, mm-hmm. and I had a guy that had happened to him at work, and then it would it had been like four or five years, and he just never went and got it looked at. Wow. Um, so and he's like, I'll get to it eventually. I'm like, probably a little Dang. late now, man. But yeah, right. um, but yeah, but I mean, so that happens. Yeah. And okay. So then to build on that, this is why it's incredibly important that ATs and PTs are in this setting, providing this kind of care, because it's this knowledge that we have and we understand that we can figure out whether you're good at communicating it or not, that will take practice and that takes time and just going through those appointments, but you have the prerequisite knowledge. So learning to communicate it is difficult, but it's not the hard part. So even if we're not treating someone the same way, um, you know, we do know what a bicep tear is. We know what that looks like. We can test for that. And then cool, you need to go get care for this. And that is what, um, aside from being preventative and that's our main thing, our knowledge, our skill set is really what makes sense for us to be there for, because there's a lot of people that don't have access to that kind of care, or they think that they need to go to like their general doctor who mm-hmm. doesn't specialize in it, um, most likely. And, um, they might not get the same information or they might get like fear mongering statements like, Oh, you can't go work out ever again because right. you're back, you know, and you've had this folding disc for like them. your whole life. Yep. Yeah. And so that's like, it's incredibly important that Mm -hmm. people like ATs and PTs are there to provide insight Mm -hmm. on what's actually going on and what's actually capable. And the fact Mm -hmm. that humans are capable in general. Right. I think that's, that's a big part of it. People will start fearing movement. And I think Mm -hmm. we're the only healthcare professional that the, a lot of these people will see on a regular basis. I mean, I can count on like two hands the number of people I've worked with that, have, that actually have a primary care that actually mm-hmm. goes to someone regularly because so many of them just go to whatever random urgent care they can get into right away. Yep. And I tell them you're getting worse care. And when something serious does happen, it's going to be way more of an annoying uh, and time consuming process mm-hmm. uh, than if you have that designated primary care you can go to. So for a lot of people, they will refuse um, to go into the doctor. And I mean, that's a part of it as well. Like you get in an incredibly tough group of people. Um, like how many athletes do you know that will rupture their bicep and then not go into the doctor or do anything about it? Um, so I, I think you get a mixed, a mixed bag of people. Um, you know, you'll get people that will work with a bicep tear for three or four years, and then you'll get mm-hmm. someone that works for three days and says they have a repetitive motion uh, injury and, and can't work. Um, so you get people all across the spectrum. And, but a lot of times you are the only healthcare professional they're gonna see. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that is another reason it's super important to have um, an AT or PT on site for, for mm-hmm. a lot of these people. And then you just push someone like, hey, you need to go establish a primary care. Like, you mm-hmm. need to go do this. Um, like you haven't gotten to physical in 10 years. Like, hey, probably should go do that. I'm not doing that. Um, I'm say, but, I don't have a primary care. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
been here a year and a half and I don't have any any kind of doctor yet so you'll get to it eventually I will yeah <clears throat> but yeah um and then I had I definitely Key had something I was going to oh yeah oh yeah we Key need to talk about those I feel like we've kind of talked about them just on accident because mm -hmm. the challenging parts are what's kind of different right um, yeah I think but I mean there actually. are still key differences um what's the first one that comes to mind verbiage which mm. is I guess is the great segue from um you know how you how you work with someone if it's work related versus non-work related the things you say which we've already said are super important um also the words you use are super right. important um and again we're not we're not there to diagnose people, tell them that they have, um, you know, whatever lateral epicondylitis, you know, we're not saying that to the person, um, we'll say, you know, you're having some lateral elbow discomfort. Um, and so it becomes more obvious how different the verbiage is once you start mm -hmm. documenting, because documentation is still necessary, um, definitely in the work setting. And so I think that's that's the first one that comes to mind. It seems super simple. Um, and it's really not difficult. It's just tedious. You're like, oh shoot, I like, oh, I can't say pain at this specific setting. That's weird. Like I've said discomfort all the time. So right. it's interesting. It's, yeah. And I think it takes time. Once you get used to it, it's actually easier. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does take, I don't know, maybe a couple months before it really kind of becoming great in how you're talking, how you're documenting. Yeah. Um, because I think coming from school, you're being incredibly detailed in your notes. You're using all of this, you know, anatomy verbiage. And when you're in this setting, you've got to write your note in a way that someone that doesn't have any of this background or experience can read it and understand. Um, and not so, think that you're diagnosing them or treating yeah. them outside of OSHA. Oh, that'll be, you, I mean, you say, you say lateral epicondylitis or you say you just start using some sort of anatomy i haven't used like detailed anatomy terms in three years so i've yeah. forgot a lot of them so you don't ask me what anatomical structures in the front of the shoulder i can't name them but i can say anterior shoulder all day um so i think so yeah that's uh so i think it's it's a part of it too it's um it takes time at first getting used to it, but once you, you get used to it, it takes a couple months, um, it is actually easier, but it is definitely a key difference um, in, in writing your notes, doing your documentation. And then once you get familiar with how you're doing your documentation, it makes it easier when you're going out and having those conversations, not to use some of those, those buzzwords, unless mm -hmm. like, hey, if someone's a 10 out of 10, they've got red flags. All right, I'm gonna say pain in their note because mm -hmm. I'm sending them um, I'm referring them off to the next level of care. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, just knowing like, Hey, if I'm, someone has a little bit of discomfort and I just mistakenly use the word pain, well, that that's a problem. Um, yeah. but it's a big difference, but I, I think it takes a couple months and then you get used to it and that's no big deal. And then you yeah. forget all your, an, and, and, uh, your, all your anatomy and then you're like me. Yeah. It's not that we're lazy. It's, <laughs> I just it sounds don't it sounds lazy. It sounds like when we're like, oh, you have to be very general. No, it's mm. super intentional, and we actually can't use certain things, but uh, not. I think that was 
<laughs> that was my exact thought when I first started doing my documentation and my lead at the time was like, oh, you know, and basically told me what I was doing. I was like, isn't that super lazy? <laughs> isn't that just like, we shouldn't be doing that because I would be reprimanded so hard mm -hmm. if I was saying that in school. Um, so that was my exact first thought. I was like, wow, this is like super lazy. Yeah. And it can make it a little bit more challenging when you are a little bit more general um, to go back and read your note and remember maybe exactly mm -hmm. what took place, um, like detail for detail. Yeah. So that's when you've got things like, um, I'll say like, hey, can you show me like the stretches and exercises you've been doing since our last visit? Or, hey, can you remind me, like, what are the couple of things that I recommend? not remind me like can you show me or just demonstrate walk me through some of the things that are recommended that you feel like are helping you the most and maybe the things aren't that you're not really feeling much of a benefit from mm -hmm. as a way of trying to jog my memory um mm -hmm. because my documentation you know wasn't um you know we're documenting everything that we're doing but it is a little bit more general more vague mm -hmm. so sometimes it can be difficult you know you're not omitting anything that you're doing you're documenting everything but because it's a little bit more vague sometimes you can it can be challenging to go back and read that note and remember exactly what took place during that appointment yeah mm, what else what other key differences do you have that come to mind um hmm. that is a great question documentation is one the fact that you're not taping that much is fantastic for someone like me. So shout out to anybody that's not much of a taper. Join the industrial setting. You'll be all right. I love um, taping. I get so excited. <laughs> Maybe you have to be. <laughs> I had, uh, I had, um, so side note, I had one of the supervisors at the first location I was at. Um, he interned, he was like, you know, as uh, an athlete, uh, like an athletic training student. Um, decided not to finish out his program, went on, did something else. So, but he was very familiar with how an ankle was supposed to be taped. And it was like one of my first couple of weeks. And he's like, Hey, can you tape my ankle? I can, I did it. Tons of wrinkles, tons of holes. I didn't re realize until at the end that I didn't use any pre-wrap. So, there's that. <laughs> so needless to say, he never asked me to tape his ankle again. Oh, that's really funny. I didn't have to do that again. But uh, there was a, another difference I was going to say. Uh, I mean, you got to get good at using Excel sheets. Mm. So, not yeah. my forte either. But I feel like, uh, you know, looking at data, trying to figure out, you know, because I think that's something that we set ourselves apart a little bit is we are very transparent with all of our data mm -hmm. um, with the companies we work for. So a little bit of a skill, like learning how to, you know, data mine put together mm -hmm. reports um That's how how to present information that is actually relevant and maybe it can guide decision making for that for that company so mm -hmm. i think that's a little bit of a of a difference um that if you're pretty good at it or you're really proficient when it comes to spreadsheets and things like that i mean it's definitely an advantage um mm -hmm. so I'd that's say a that. great one athletic trainers on average i'm not alone we're not great when it comes to spreadsheets uh, you or, will or be that sort of you eventually have to be yeah so i've gotten better i still don't know how to do a lot of things but i keep it very basic i just had uh, one of our coworkers spend two hours with me going over pivot tables so 
super helpful and I was nice. confused the entire time. But um, I think that's probably something that's a little bit different too, learning how to um, put together reports, present the reports, mm-hmm. uh, not just like read the report to them, but try and dig a little bit deeper. And like, here's what these numbers probably mean. Um, and maybe some things that we can try going forward the next quarter um, to mitigate some of these issues. I think that is a little mm-hmm. bit of a skill also, you know, skill of conversation, but, um, you know, having that as a background, trying to be proficient in data mining and things like that are probably also a key difference. Because I don't think, I mean, I don't recall any of my preceptors in school ever needing to do something like that ever. I don't either. When I worked at San Jose State, I didn't have to put reports together either. Anything that I was putting together or presenting were like, all right, well, here's, here are the current injuries. Here's who's injured today. And it was never like, here's how the program's doing. Here is, here are all the ergonomic concerns here where people getting, or people are getting hurt the most. And so, yeah, I think that's a great one to bring up. Um, And for people who are really interested in that, it's a cool opportunity to not only be an athletic trainer, but kind of diversify the role and the mm-hmm. service that you're providing. Because um, I never, when I started, I never thought I would do reports. Like I just didn't, mm-hmm. not that I thought I wouldn't do them. I didn't think it was a thing. So right. it's cool. If mm-hmm. you like seeing numbers and you like looking at things that way, it's a really cool opportunity to one, develop relationships with safety managers, other people that are at your site, um, and also just really understand what you're doing because on a day-to-day basis you're probably really busy you know firsthand what you're seeing but then to look back at like an entire quarter and be like oh my gosh all of the injuries were at this one or two stations that's a really big um, piece of information to have and use right exactly because i think one you're showing the company that's paying for our service um, you're justifying why you should be there, but it's also, and you're being transparent, you're not inflating the numbers, um, mm-hmm. but it's also, it, you're right, it, you maybe have this distorted perception of how things are going, um, but you don't actually know until you look at the numbers and you mm-hmm. see, maybe you calculate your success rate, and the, you know, the percentage of individuals that walk through your door um, that don't go on to become more reportable. Um, things like that. You don't actually know until you dig into the numbers and then it helps make you better too. And it just makes everything more transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is, that's a key part of what we do um, that I think we are pretty good at. Um, but ultimately, and then if you find out you're falling short, okay, well now you have a, the chance to course correct that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise if you didn't look at this data for the next three or four months. And now you've got a full-fledged problem on your hands. Um, and now it's harder to dig yourself out of that hole and make changes. And ultimately, the whole goal is that we're doing the best, providing the best service we can um, for the workers. And if we're doing something that's not working, we need to know. And if we're doing something that is being really effective, maybe in one area of the factory, um, then we need to know so that we can spread that across um, the entire facility and ultimately get the people the care that they need. So mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a big thing. It's intimidating at first, but um, once you learn it. I think it's a huge skill on just my other pitch for the industrial setting. If you have skills like that, it is really easy for you to grow into a new role, mm-hmm. um, either full-time or part of the time, like yourself, for example. Um, 
all of your skills involved with, with learn, right. The podcast, you know, creating the website, all of those skills, things that you've learned, um, and added, well, now it's a part of what you do. Um, other individuals, um, that have worked for social media companies, um, that are now on our content and marketing team, uh, part of their week. I think there's a lot of skills. And I think Scott Adams talks about it. You don't have to be phenomenal at one particular thing. It's sometimes better to have a couple of diverse sets of skills that you're somewhat average at and then put them together and you're going to be really successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the name of his book. I think it's like how to fail at everything and still win big, but great book. And that, but that's what it talks about. So if you have skills like that, that maybe you don't think are necessarily related or maybe that you'd use in the traditional setting, here you have the opportunity to kind of grow and create a role for yourself, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, especially if you need a, a break from um, just working with people one-on-one as an on-site clinician, or you just have the desire to, you know, you've been doing this for 20 years and you want to move into something else. I think that's one of the biggest advantages is it, you have a ton of opportunity to do that um, and fulfill that need with whatever skills you already have. Or if you're like yourself, you want to like take it upon yourself. Like, I know I want to do this. I don't have the skills yet. And then you invested, you know, last couple of years, months into working and developing those skills. Um, So I think that is a huge um, difference between the two. And I think, I mean, that's a massive reason why I chose that setting as well. Yeah. Um, If I had known it was going to be like this, I, I don't know if I would have well I didn't get my master's but I don't know if I would have gone for my master's I also don't know if I would have taken any other position <clears throat> but of course that's all I kind of do um but then I mean if I didn't do those things that maybe I wouldn't work for work right so I don't know <laughs> but yeah to know that there's all this movement that can be had all these skill sets that can be used in conjunction to your skills as an athletic trainer because those are still highly valuable in the Mm -hmm. other things you're doing because even if you are doing data um or you're working on a project for the company you work for your skill set as an athletic trainer or physical therapist is still greatly appreciated in those situations um and it's probably that insight that you have as a clinician that is Mm -hmm. then enabling you to do those other projects very well so right it's pretty cool I think right and I think I mean you you named a couple of them you've got data sales content marketing um operations management there's a, a whole host of different avenues that you can grow into which is exciting Mm-hmm. Um, things that you didn't even know were necessarily a part of what you could be doing when you first took the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's, I mean, there's probably some other avenues that, um, that I'm forgetting, but I think that's, it's exciting because you don't have to just be, you know, in this one position, your entire career, you have the opportunity and when you have that basis as a physical therapist or an athletic trainer, a lot of those skills will make you great at some of these other avenues um, and you have insights um, that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise so I think that's that's a big thing yeah and I think on the on the flip side to your point about um, there's always going to be all these different avenues that you could venture down if on the other hand you do love working with people and all you want to do ever is be a clinician on site 
they're never going away. No, <laughs> Industries that's what, that's run twenty four seven, and that doesn't mean that you're running twenty four seven. I would argue that in most cases, another key difference is your schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, there will always be someone to help. There are always be people to educate on. Much like a traditional setting, there's always going to be athletic teams um, and people who need that need that care, and it's the same for this setting as well. No, we wouldn't be able to do what we do if we don't have the people that just deeply love being a clinician. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that make this service, they make the whole company run, they make it possible. Um, and some of these little other avenues that we were talking about that we can go down, whether it's data, sales, content, um, you know, we get the opportunity to do that, but it's really all around trying to support the people that really are what make the company run, which are right. on-site clinicians. It's just, hey, how can we facilitate and take some of these other things off their plate that we enjoy doing and help them just be able to focus on being what they want, which is the best clinician possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's 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 nice in that way, um, it's something that we can do. But yeah, you're right, schedule is obviously different. I mean, we've got people that work on night shift, people that work during the days, that work four tens, which is an amazing schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got clinicians all over the country that have different schedules, but the fact that you have something that's more set in stone, it's routine, um, certain locations, you have a little bit of flexibility to adjust and move it around if you need to. I think that's probably one of the things that appeals to people most that makes people interested in the industrial setting is like, oh, it's on average, you have better pay. It's, mm-hmm. it's something different. And that also you have routine. Um, yeah. I think that's uh, a big initial appeal. And then all this other stuff that we're talking about that you find out once you actually get it is sort of icing on the cake. Yeah. Yep. Is there anything, any piece, I know we've, we've talked about a lot of stuff um, and a lot of it, whether it was straight up advice or not, kind of could come off as advice. Um, but is there anything or any last comment that you would leave the call with to any clinician? Any a clinician that is not in this setting yet? Yeah. What are you waiting for? Make, <laughs> make, make the jump. Come join a great team. Um, I think just reach out to people that maybe you don't know them, but they're in the industrial setting. Ask questions. Um, I know it can be difficult to get on site if you're not working with a company, uh, if you're a student, but try and get as much exposure as you can um don't let the unknown steer you away from it i think it's something that's the setting is continuing to grow i think it's an amazing opportunity um and just reach out ask questions and we'll try and help you any way we can but um it's incredibly rewarding and i can't imagine doing doing anything else so and thank you for having me on uh if i this if the people want it, we can do round three. Always. Thank you, Justin, for taking time to talk to me. It's always appreciated. Um, and we will see you at some point in the future. So thank you. Thanks, Sarah. As always, thank you all so much for tuning in, listening to our latest podcast on Learn Right Radio. If you ever have any questions at all regarding the industrial setting, you know where to find us, media at learnright underscore nw or you can head to our website learnrightuniversity.com 
We're always coming up and updating our courses that are very industrial specific and are tailored for the industrial clinician. Again, if you're an ATC or a PT, this is the place to go. Otherwise, we will catch you guys all in the next one. Hope you enjoyed this one. And if you have anything, make sure you reach out.